Good morning, Access Church. Uh, good to see everybody. I watched last week, as Josh said, his walk-up music is kind of slow, and mine's kind of peppy, so I, I like it that way. Uh, but uh, did you know that last week was the 30th anniversary of the movie The Field of Dreams? I only know this because I woke up on Saturday morning a week ago, and I got up, went outside, and got onto my phone. And you know, there's other people out there that uh, are in the internet world, I guess, that know what I need to watch. I don't know. And so it flipped up on my feed, and I started watching uh, this uh, interview with Kevin Costner and watching what was happening as they were looking back 30 years ago on the movie Field of Dreams. And to be honest with you, I don't really remember a lot of that movie. I did watch it years ago, 30 years ago, but I don't think I've watched it since. And as I tell you the story here in a minute, don't worry. If you haven't seen it by now, I can, I'm sorry, I can't help you for spoiling this. But uh, here, here's what happens in the movie, uh, what we learn. And of course, they were celebrating this uh, last week as Kevin Costner was coming out into a field that Major League Baseball has now built. And it's more like a... A minor league field that's in Iowa, right across the cornfield from the original place where they shot the movie Field of Dreams. And, and he comes out and the movie soundtrack is going and it's emotional. And then behind out of the corn come the Yankees players and the White Sox players. And then he gets up and he gives this talk. And as he's being interviewed, he's describing the movie back 30 years ago and what it meant. 30 years ago when they did the movie, uh, Kevin and Costner was the owner of a field. And in, in the movie, as you know, he hears these words that says, if you build it, he will come. And he doesn't know who the he is, and he doesn't know what's going to transpire. He's just told that he needs to build this baseball field, and so he does it. And he, he's, in the meantime, he's losing his farm. And the bank is coming after him, and he doesn't have enough money to maintain it. And so someone's coming to try to buy and purchase this uh, farm from him. Says, give up your dream. Give up your dream. And, and then in that moment, James Earl Jones gives this incredible speech that says that there will be people, miles and miles of people who come, and they pay money, and they will support this. And so Kevin Costner decides to go forward. But out of the corn come the ghost of old baseball players. Well, all of them walk off the field. Kevin Costner's there with his wife and his daughter. And suddenly he looks over and there is a player, a catcher, who takes off his catcher mask. And Kevin Costner's character realizes that's his dad. And that's the reason he was supposed to build this field is because he was going to reconnect, reconcile with his father. And yet he didn't want to mess up time and space. And so he didn't really want to let him know that it was his son and that was his granddaughter. But as the catcher began to walk away and say, thank you for building this field, Kevin Costner says, Dad, will you have a catch? Now, in that moment, uh, Kevin Costner actually has an interview that says that grown men in that moment cry. And sure enough, on Saturday morning, a week ago, with my family still inside in bed, I am thinking about my dad throwing baseball with me in the backyard. Do you want to have a catch? And remembering those moments. 
Now, don't get me wrong. As the youngest in the family, I learned to kind of entertain myself. I would throw the baseball onto the roof of the house, and it would, I couldn't see where it was going to come from, so it would come down the roof, and it would bounce off of the gutter, and that's how I would shag balls by myself and just catch the ball off the roof. Or I would throw the baseball or a rubber-type ball against the wall, and it would come back to me, and I would get grounders that way, or I would throw the baseball up in the air, and I would be the great pitcher, or I would be a batter in that case, and I would hit the ball and go retrieve it myself. And don't get me wrong, that was fun, and that was entertaining, but nothing was as good as that moment when dad would get home from work and say, hey, why don't you get your glove? And we'd throw baseball in the backyard together. And guys, can I just tell you, there's nothing better than together. There's nothing better than being together, working together, worshiping together, playing together, arm in arm. And really, that is the essence of who we are as a church. From the very beginning of Access Church, we said we're going to have some values that are going to mark who we are. We would explore faith in God together. We would be a group of people that would say that our goal is that we would grow to know God more and more and more through Christ. And then that we would experience life-changing relationships. That the relationships that we're a part of here would actually be meaningful and authentic and would be life-changing. And that then we would express the love of God to the world. That those of us together, joined arm in arm, would express God's love through acts of kindness and through building relationships with people. And those have been the values that have marked us as a community from the very beginning. And today, I want to zone in on that second one, which is really joining together, experiencing relationships with each other. And maybe you don't know this, but that has been the design of God from the very beginning. Together is designed by God. In Genesis, we read that we were created in God's likeness. And in the rest of creation, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then he created man, and he's like, eh, it's good, but not good at the same time. And you say, how is that possible? Because here is Adam walking in the garden. God is his companion walking in the garden. He has all the food he wants. He's the CEO over the animals. He has no house payments. Adam has all that he needs. And yet in that moment, God says, it's not good. But he says it's not good because he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve and In that moment, he created togetherness. He created togetherness. And then he said, that's very good. Henry Cloud one time said, God created us with a hunger for relationship, for relationship with him and with people. At our very core, we are relational beings. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. We are meant to be together. We were created to walk through this life together, life on life, person to person. And guys, you have probably experienced that before in your life. You had that uh, baby in the hospital, and you had some friends who came over just after the birth, and they brought you meals and said, we're so thankful for this. God is so good. Or maybe you had an illness And you had some people rally around you, and there were some late nights, and one of your friends said, you said, go home, just go home. And they said, no, we're going to be right here with you. 
We're, just, no, we're not going home. We're just going to be with you. We're going to walk you through this. Or maybe you were in the hospital waiting for a family member, and somebody was there waiting with you, praying with you desperately. They didn't even have to say anything. Just their presence there in that moment meant the world to you. Or maybe you went through a difficult divorce, and you had two or three friends or a group of friends who were just there for you, lifted you up. They couldn't solve the problem, but they just called you. They showed up. They were there. Or maybe it was a tough season of unemployment and you had a friend who just kept calling you every day, just said, I'm going to keep encouraging you through this because I know it's tough. And, and if you've been there in those moments, you can even look back on that maybe with a tear in your eye thinking about what it meant to have somebody walk with you through those times together. And by the way, this is not just God's design. It was all through the Old Testament, Adam and Eve in the garden together, Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms so that he could hold up that staff. And as long as the staff was held up, the Israelites would win the victory. And so they together would hold up his arms. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together delivered through the fiery furnace. Ruth and Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Or David and Jonathan, who were set up to be enemies but instead became best friends. Friends, that is not by accident. God designed us that way. Together is designed by God, and together is modeled by Jesus. Jesus, our Lord and leader, modeled for us how we're to live. Yes, he enjoyed moments of solitary, solitary and solitude and prayer, and he would get up early in the morning, and he would go out by the Sea of Galilee, and he would pray, but most of his time was spent with close companions. Throughout his ministry, he modeled the value of togetherness. He chose close friends, Peter, James, and John. And then there was a, that was his inner circle. Then he had a little bit broader circle with the disciples. And then a little bit broader circle with the 120. Someone one time evaluated how much time did Jesus spend with his disciples. And they looked across all of his ministry, healing, preaching, spending time with his disciples, and somebody figured up 73% of his time was spent life on life with his disciples. Jesus knew the value of together. And in Mark chapter 6, when he sent them out to the neighboring towns to go tell people about Jesus and heal people, he sent them out two by two. And you might think, that's not very efficient. Why couldn't he send him out one by one? He'd reach double the people because Jesus knew the value of community. He knew the value of arm in arm, we're better together. He remembered the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 that says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Together is designed by God, modeled by Jesus, and it is carried out in the early church. We want to be a church that models ourselves after the life of Jesus and the first century church. And when you open the pages of the New Testament and you take a peek inside, you're going to see what the New Testament church was like and what they did. The church was all about, I'm with you. We're in this together. I love you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you drift. We're going to be in there. If you have a need, we're going to help shoulder that need together. And in the early days, the church was not an organization. It was a community of people who rallied around the idea and the belief that Jesus Christ 
was the Son of God who died for our sin and rose again on the third day. They were there for each other, supported each other, loved each other. Just look at the pages of the book of Acts, the very first church. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the Holy Spirit came, they were all together in one place. Acts chapter 2 verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And then Acts chapter 2 verse 46 is my favorite. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's my favorite because they ate together. Amen. They were together and they ate and they enjoyed fellowship with each other. And that tells us that it wasn't just about rows. It wasn't just about an event. It was about meeting together in homes getting to know one another life on life, and there's nothing like breaking bread with somebody and saying, over this meal, let's get to know each other. Now, for a lot of you, that was not your church experience growing up. You grew up maybe in a place where church was all about the event. If you just showed up once a a week on a Sunday, or if you showed up maybe once a month, or if you showed up maybe twice a year on Easter and Christmas, God somehow was happy with you and all was right in the world. And you were led to believe, or maybe you falsely believed in your own mind, that if I just check the church box, my mom will be happy, the church will be happy, and God will be happy with me too. And what you did was you took the beauty of the relationship with God and you moved it into a ritual. You made it a religion instead of a relationship with God. You made it a checkbox. And if you did that, you missed what is best about the community of faith that we're a part of, that we are in this together. Jesus said, love God, love people, not check off the church box and God will be good with you. So for a lot of you, that wasn't your experience. In our culture, a lot of times it's been just about attendance. If you just attend, you're good to go. The the early church wasn't about attendance. They were about attachment. In our culture, it's about sitting in rows and looking up at one person and, and, and not in the first century. It was about sitting in circles and looking at one another and challenging one another. That's one of the reasons that I love being part of the Axis community. And one of the ways we experience together is we have a baptism Sunday every now and then. Now, we have a baptism tank that's ready every weekend. I say it's ready. It has water, and it's a little dirty. But, hey, if you want to do it, you know, uh, you can get in there. We'll have to clean that. But every so often, we'll have a baptism somewhere else. And last weekend, if you didn't have a chance to watch what happened as we baptized people in the river, I want to give you a good picture of what together looks like. Son of the living God, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him, I accept Him.
done an awesome picture of together, uh, together with God, together with people. If you'd allow me for a minute, I'd love to tell you some of the stories of those people. We saw little Bryce from the Middletown campus being baptized into Christ. When I introduced him and I said, would you introduce yourself? He said, my name's Bryce. He said, I, I know the way and I know what it means to be baptized and I want to accept Christ as my Savior. He was baptized by Mark. After that, we saw Daniel be baptized. Daniel was baptized by his dad, Colin, and uh, Josh baptized him. And Colin's a young man who decided to make Christ the Lord of his life. We saw Megan. Megan is a lady who saw us online. That's how she found Axis Church. And she's been watching for weeks during this time, watching, watching, heard the announcement about Baptism Day, emailed us and said, I want to join up with that. Can I be baptized? And so after having met with Josh, she decided that she wanted to make that step of faith. We saw Andrew and Frank Wright. Frank is a guy who very early on in Access Church, before we ever even started, we threw Frisbees door to door. The logo of our church was on the front of the Frisbee and on the back of the Frisbee. It had the address and the first day that we were going to meet together. We threw those Frisbees out. Andrew, or Andrew got that. And he and his dad would throw Frisbee, and then Frank threw it into his toy box. It wasn't too long after that, maybe a couple years, that Frank went through a divorce. And during that time, he began to think, maybe I need to find something else in my life. And he started to think, I think the other thing that I need in my life is church. And so he started to think, where am I going to go to church? Lo and behold, he goes, I remember there's a Frisbee that's in my toy box. He pulled it out. Frank started coming to church. And in an effort to both remember his name as well as remind my community group, which Frank became a part of, I, I told him that this guy's name was Frisbee Frank. That helped me remember it. It was like a memory hook, all right? And Frank is just the greatest servant. He has such a servant heart. And, uh, and he wanted to be baptized a while ago, but he waited for his son, and you saw them on that video. Andrew raised his hand just like I did. I didn't tell him to do that, and he baptized his dad with me, and then Frank baptized his son, and they raised their hands in celebration together. But one of the greatest stories that I love is Mr. and Mrs. Noel, who are here today, and when you all first came to church, I'll be honest with you, I was thinking, I don't know if they're going to stay. Ray is 90. Louise is 86, amen, and uh, I, I don't think we have anybody else that's 90 in here, and they came in that first day, shuffling in, and in my mind, I thought, I don't know if they're going to like the music, or I don't know, because I just don't know what's going to happen. Well, then they went to starting point class, and Louise just kept saying, I love this church. They teach the Bible. I love this church. This is such a good church. She's so positive. And, uh, and so then, I, by the way, um, I learned, I picked them up last week at their apartment, going to drive them down to the river, and on the way down there, I learned that they met at Cottingham Retirement Community, and Ray, 90 or maybe 89 at the time, was starting to pray, God, I'd like to meet a Christian woman. And, and, uh, and so they got to know each other, and then they got married. They're newlyweds. They've only been married a year. And uh, yeah. 
just got back from Cancun. How you guys did that, I don't know, but you did it, and you're back from Cancun. And, and then we get to the baptistry, and we're going to go down there, and we get down, and literally takes several minutes. It's just cautious. Let's watch our step. We have people on each side. We get down to the river, and we have that great confession. And Louise says, now I want to hold Ray's hand as we go out in the water, and she does. And they get out in the water, and the only way we could think to baptize them was put on a chair. And then three of us would just lower them down into the water and bring them back up. And when they did, Louise, now they got out of the water, Louise and Ray had a beautiful kiss in that moment together. There is just something powerful about togetherness. And friends, when you relegate your relationship with the eternal God of the universe into a check-off of an event where you check off and say, I showed up at church, I was there, therefore God now is good, you are missing the best of the relationship with the Almighty God and with those that are right next to you in your row. This idea of togetherness was designed by God. It was modeled by Jesus. It was carried out in the early church. And can I just tell you, I really am convinced it is the best way to live. The Apostle Paul one time wrote a letter to some believers in a town called Ephesus. And in that letter, he wrote them these words. Consequently, consequently, in other words, because of, because of what Christ did and because of your relationship with him that now you have, Consequently, you were no longer foreigners and aliens. In other words, once you were deserted, once you were a foreigner, once you were separated, but now you are together, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're now part of the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are the people of God. You are the temple of God now. Ephesians chapter 3, later in the same letter, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses understanding and knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. In other words, guys, listen, you are rooted, you are established, you are in love, and in Christ's love you have power, what? Together. And that in that togetherness with Christ and one another, there is power. And now you are understanding what it means to be both loved and to be able to love. Later in the same letter, he said, instead, speak the truth in love. And then we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Those words are so beautifully powerful because we're seeing now the idea of what it means to live life at its best. Arm in arm, ligament growing together, those ligaments holding each other together, encouraging one another, lifting each other up. Another place is found in another uh, letter to a people that were called the Hebrews. 
And these were people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity, and they wanted to kind of fall back into their old ritualistic religion. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews was reminding them, hey, listen, there's a better way. And so here's what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse uh, 23. He says, let us hold. And the word hold is such a powerful word because we're holding on to each other. We're holding on to, um, to the hope that we have. He says, let us hold unswervingly. We just took Becca back to college this uh, week. And if you're not careful, you might go off the road a bit. And they've got those little lines. And as you hit those, it goes, and it's reminding you, you need to get back on the right track, right? You need to stay between the lines. Hold unswervingly. Stay in your lane, Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. The hope is in Christ. For he, God, God is faithful. In other words, he's going to come through for you. And he says, and let us, that's all of us together, let us consider, let's sit around, let's think, let's ponder how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And that word spur is the word in other places in the New Testament, provoke one another, uh, irritate one another. Find ways to challenge one another. And then you sit back and think about that. You know, not everybody is uh, led the same way or wants to be coached the same way. I've learned this as we coach at CrossFit that there are certain people, they don't want to be yelled at. They just want to be encouraged. Keep up. Keep it up. You can do it. Keep up the good work. Other people are mental. What they want to know is if you just get five more reps, you're going to beat Josh. And they're like, yes, I'm motivated by that. I got a few guys, though, they're motivated by yelling. They want to be yelled at. And one of those guys' names is Jason. And I learned that he's a military guy. He wants to be yelled at. And, and it was a few weeks ago now, about a month ago, he and I were doing a kettlebell workout together, heavy kettlebells, kettlebell swings, and he banged his finger. I did not know this because I was working out beside him. It was kettlebells and running. He bangs his finger so bad that it turns bright, bright purple and then dark purple. I think he broke it. It was really large. But I didn't know this, and so he bangs his finger, and then he takes off for a run. And I run past him, but now he's walking. And I say to him, what are you doing? Why are you walking? Remember, he likes to get yelled at. Why are you walking? He says, I hit my finger. I think I broke it. And I said, well, that has nothing to do with your legs. Let's go. And he gets back up and he keeps running in. I mean, his finger, he's like, I was trying to keep my heart rate down because it was just throbbing. I was afraid it was going to explode. It was like, boom, 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 you know, spur one another on. And we in the body of Christ, we are spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. We're encouraging one another. We're with each other. We're not just in rows. We're in circles looking at each other saying, don't give up. Stay in the fight. And then he goes on in verse 25 to say, let us not give up as some are in the habit of doing, meeting together. We want to meet together. Why? Because that's what they did. Some, of, some may have wondered, why did we start meeting as early as we could, as safely as we could, early on in the process of COVID? Why? Because of this verse. We believe that was a value to God, so as safely as we could, we were going to come back together, meet together, 
because we wanted to be encouraging one another, lifting each other up, spurring one another on. And that's what we did. And why? He says, do that so that you may encourage one another. And so that's what we've been about always. Yes, we enjoy the event. Yes, this is our weekly pep rally. Yes, this is an opportunity to worship and be reminded that God is big and we are small and God is powerful and great and we need him so much in our life. We're reminded that Christ is the head of the church. Yes, this is important, but our foundation has been built on that principle of Jesus, love God and love people. And the best way to do that is to look at one another in a circle and say, come on, we can do this. Let's encourage each other. Let's challenge each other. Let's learn the word together. Let's serve the community together. Let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That has always been the heart of who we are. In 1992, which now seems like a long time ago, I was ordained into the Christian ministry. Uh, The day or the weekend that I was ordained was also graduation weekend from Milligan College. It was also my last Sunday at the church that I was serving in Tennessee. So in the morning in Tennessee, uh, we had a worship service together. I led the choir. I like to call it the old lady choir. We did, I think, have two men, but most of it was older ladies. And they sang. And I think the song that we sang that morning for the people was a song called People Need the Lord, which is an old 80s kind of worship song. And then I baptized one of the teenagers into Christ. My family was there. My whole family was there, including my two grandfathers were there. My grandparents from both sides were there uh, at that time. I'm not sure my grandmother was there, my mom's mom, but everybody else was there. I'd asked my grandfather, uh, both of them, would they pray at the ordination and be part with the elders of the church laying hands on me that evening and praying as I'm sent out to ministry. It was a very emotional weekend. Uh, My grandfather on my dad's side can't hear anything. Uh, He was deaf for many, many years, as long as I knew him, very nearly deaf. And he came out in one of the sweetest moments after I preached that day, that morning, and baptized that kid in my old lady choir saying, he came out and he said, Stephen, that was the best sermon that I've ever heard. And I didn't hear a word of it. And it was such a nice moment to say, I felt the experience. I know what happened today. Well, that afternoon, I graduated from college, and and both of my grandfathers went to my dorm room to take a nap as they were preparing for the ordination. And then they ordained me that night. My mom read scripture. My brother prayed. My sister played piano. My uh, other brother gave some comments, and my dad gave the charge. And then at the end, these elders laid hands on me to set me aside for a very emotional moment. And in that moment, after that night, my grandfather who I just talked about, he handed me a letter. It was on yellow paper. I remember reading it. Uh, By the way, he had a beautiful prayer that night. He was very nervous about praying because he said his mind didn't work very good. And so he thought, I don't know if I could pray. But then he told me, after seeing that today, after seeing you baptize that kid, how can I not pray for you? And I remember his prayer. I don't remember it perfectly. And uh, the video of my ordination was lost very soon after. I never was able to watch the video of the ordination. So I have my memory to reflect back on what he said. But he wrote me that letter. And I remember reading that letter in my dorm room. And I remember thinking, man, that is so powerful what he wrote to me. So encouraging. 
That was in 1992. Well, with all of the rush of the day and saying goodbye to the people at the church and all the things that happened, I lost that letter. And I have not seen it for 30, I mean for, uh, yeah, I guess almost 30 years now. And uh, I've looked back on that thing. Man, I wish I had that letter. I kind of remembered what it said, but I didn't remember exactly. About a month ago, I was looking through a keepsake box that I have at my house, old memories of different things. And lo and behold, I looked through there. I wasn't even looking for that. I didn't know it was in there. I looked in there, and in the ordination program was that letter from my grandfather from 1992. So I brought it today. I've actually framed it now. Uh, It's a little hard for me to read his writing. So if I pause, it's not because I'm crying. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let me read it to you. This is the letter he wrote me that, uh, that day. Dear Stephen, every night you're in my prayers. As my memory is getting bad, I want to let, let you know before it gets any worse. How inspiring to be in your ordination services. I could see how much you wanted me to be a part of it. After seeing you with your tender heart, shedding those teardrops of appreciation and love for those you love, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. When I went over in your room during graduation services, I was wondering what to say. The first thing that came to my mind, the same thing that goes to my mind every day. I know I didn't make it clear as I can't concentrate very good anymore. But never forget, Christ in all his suffering and pain was asking God to forgive them of their sins. So we are to be more like Jesus. Paul sums it up pretty good when he tells us to love one another, to be kind-hearted or tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as in God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. And with this will and determination, you will be a good warrior for Christ, blazing a trail of righteousness in years to come. That those who will follow Jesus will receive that crown of everlasting life. That goes through my mind every day of my life. I can see it in you. You're going to be a powerful preacher. God bless you, your grandpa, Paul Sams. Now that letter is obviously meaningful on a personal level, but I want to tell you, all of you dads today, that that's the kind of legacy that you want to leave for your kids. You want to leave the kind of legacy that says that among everything else in the world, the most important thing is what you do with Jesus. And I want to say that to those of you who are grandfathers today. But that's the most important thing. But beyond finances, beyond I've got a home somewhere I want to leave you, beyond everything else, this is what matters most. And I'm talking to moms today who love their children and say, well, what do I want to most leave my children? That's it right there. That, that legacy of Christ in your life. To single moms today who are working so hard to just provide for your kids. Can I just say that that's what you want to leave? That's what's most important. They don't care about material things. They don't care about all the stuff of the world. What matters most is that. And guys, the idea in the letter that is so powerful to me is that idea that we are in this together. That following that life of the Apostle Paul was saying that that we should be kind-hearted with one another, tender-hearted with one another, love one another, serve one another, and forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave us. That's why. 
we're asking you to join up with other people in community just like that. To say, I want to love. I'm going to take the risk. And by the way, it is a risk. There are some of you today, as I say, you need to join up in relationship with people. You're thinking in your seat, I don't even like people. Why would I ever do that? Well, you do it because it was designed by God and modeled by Christ and carried out in the church and it's the best way to live. That's why you do it. And so I'm asking you to take the risk. And next weekend, we are going to have a sign-up day for our community groups, an opportunity to say, I want to join in relationships. And our leaders are going to be in the coffee area and you're going to be meeting and talking and learning where they meet and who they are. And we want you to take the risk, take the risk. And just say, I want to join up. Let's lock arms and let's be about the mission of Jesus. Let's do what he did. And to that end, I want to pray for you. God, I pray today that we would, together as a community, understand how wide, how deep, and how long is the love of Christ. And God, I pray that we would be able to leave a legacy with one another, much like what we see in my grandfather's letter which says even at the end of his life that we're to be people who love one another, forgive one another kind hearted with one another tender with one another and no we're not going to be perfect and yes it's going to be messy sometimes and yes we're going to make mistakes and, and, and yes sometimes we're going to have to spur one another on and, and challenge each other and mentor one another, encourage one another but God in all of that the value of togetherness. We're seeing that the relationship that we have with you is so much more than checking off a box, God. We're understanding that this life is best lived together. And so for that, God, we're, we're very thankful. Thank you for that you model love for us. Thank you that you designed us that way. We pray this together in Jesus' name.